Welcome to the Run the Whites podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Drummond, for episode three with Will Peterson. Fresh off the trail from his Diartisma FKT, the Diartisma is pretty much now the unsupported 48 route. That's the way that people are doing, linking up all 48 4,000 footers in one push, no assist from cars, carrying everything you need from start to finish, and just filling up water as you need to along the way. Will was super cool and sent me his tracker and info ahead of time, so I was able to follow along. It took him um, a couple stints to, to get it done, but when he when he did get it done, um, he did it remarkably fast, and um, it's it's I honestly was excited to see it because I've been waiting for this um, route to get tightened up a little more, and I think that both Will and I recognize that like no route, no no one's going to really nail this perfectly, but there's a lot of room left on the table for improvements and Will just took it down another notch and it was really exciting. And I'd love to chat and um, hear what his strategy was, what he had for gear, his highs, his lows, what's next, all that fun stuff. And um, of course we had some technical hiccups. It wasn't like I didn't hit record. I hit record, but the audio was all distorted. So we, he was kind enough to just um, hop back on the phone and we did another call and, you know, it's just the nature of the beast sometimes trying to get everything to work in your favor. So enjoy this interview um, with Will. Links in the description to his Instagram. You can see some photos and highlights of uh, some of his hiking, his through hiking, a little bit of the diartisma, as well as uh, his write-up, his initial write-up for the trek.co. That's in the links as well. And I'm sure he'll have a really nice trip report when this is all said and done and on the official FKT website. Um, so thanks again. We got more guests lined up for the next couple of weeks. Try to keep the episodes going. Thanks, guys. And thanks, Will. Take two, <laughs> Will Peterson on the podcast here. A couple days after his... Um, FKT on the Diartisma, finished it in five days, 13 hours. Super impressive, really fun to follow. He sent me his spot link and I was able to watch day by day. It's crazy how those five days felt like a couple weeks. Um, Will, how you doing? Doing pretty good, man. Doing pretty good. In recovery mode, still hurting a little bit, but doing good. Yeah, so you are calling from, you said Yarmouth, Maine? Yep, Yarmouth. And you're a college student right now? Yeah. Yeah, I go to Northeastern down in Boston. And uh, yeah, your summer plans have been railroaded, it sounds like, but you found um, this project to uh, really focus on. I read your your preview on the trek.co. I'll go ahead and link that in the description as well. But um, tell uh, the listeners a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so uh, I hiked the AT last year in 2019. Um, and then this year I was planning on hiking the PCT with my brother and we, uh, obviously because of COVID that, that got, uh, derailed. So I was looking for, for something else to do this summer. And I was looking around at at different local things I could do. I looked at the hot traverse for a little bit and, um, ended up deciding that really wasn't for me. And then I came across the diartisma and, you know, started looking at, at, uh, at your record and at Bill Tidd's record and, um, thought it would be a fun project to go after. So that, that was sort of the, the impetus for the project. And you came in with, um, your goal was under six days 
and you started this your first try you you ran into some weather issues but you started this earlier in july what um let's talk a little bit just quickly lead in of um your strategy nutrition gear your pack weight stuff like that and then just day-to-day mileage and just those goals and expectations you had going into it sure so the strategy going in was uh to to go do a, a two or three week hike with my brother um we did the main section of the appalachian trail my brother and my girlfriend and we um we the plan was to get some kind of semblance of trail legs back under me uh so that for the diatism i wouldn't be hurting too too much um for for food on the diatism i was carrying about uh 70 percent about 3,500 calories a day worth of this nutrition powder uh, that just got mixed into my water. And then the, the other 1,500 calories a day or so was was uh, all power bars and stuff like that. And, um, you know, my gear I was carrying, I was carrying a pretty standard uh, ultralight backpacking setup for my, for my gear, but I still had all the, you know, I still had a full sleep system. I just, I didn't carry a cook system, obviously, because I was drinking everything, but, um, the, yeah, the sleep system was all there. I had a tent, a sleeping pad, sleeping bag, all that stuff. And sorry, your total pack weight when it was max loaded up with some water was how much those first couple days? Oh boy. I never weighed it out. Um, but I would assume, I, I think, with full food water, it was probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 30, 33 pounds, maybe. Everyone wants to know the weight. That's always curious. You pick up a pack and to, to gauge 30, what does 30 pounds feel like? It's quite a, it's quite a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's a bit of, I mean, you know, at the beginning, because I was drinking so much of my nutrition, like whenever possible, I was carrying four liters of water at a time, which just adds a lot of weight. <laughs> that's so much weight um so yeah talk about get into day one and two or you know this first your false start um of the project what went right what went wrong yeah so almost nothing went right the the first time i did this project i started started the first project around uh july 12th um just made a lot of mental errors a lot of uh a lot of physical errors too i missed um I missed the the herd path by Owl's Head for by a lot. Um, I like I actually started going down the the Lincoln Brook slide and uh, and bailed out um, the first time. But I just wasted a lot of time on this sort of stuff. And then um, what really killed me that first attempt was uh, I gauged the weather wrong. And so days two and three I got hit pretty hard with with thunderstorms that made it so I had to to wait to get over the Hancocks and um, put me pretty significantly far behind to the point where by the time I got to the bottom of the Osceolas, I was not confident that I could make up those miles. So I decided to, to cut my losses and try it another time. Yeah. And, and when you um, bailed, were you already thinking, all right, I'm going to reset. I'm going to do this again. Or were you on the fence about restarting altogether? Oh, I knew, I knew I would at least give it one more shot. Um, I, when I bailed the first time, I just, I absolutely hate quitting things because, and like, it's, I mean, it's a different sort of game when you're doing an FKT. Cause like on the Appalachian trail, if I got hit 
really hard with storms. I could just get off trail for a day, go stay in a hostel somewhere and then get back on. But, you know, with an FKT, it's like, if you, if you get held up, then, then you just, you lose, that's it. Um, but no, I knew, I knew I was going to get back on. I was just nervous. I was very nervous the second time around that I didn't want to get thwarted by weather again. Cause it just, it, that would, that would have hurt me mentally more than anything. I feel like. And then resetting, you gave yourself a couple weeks to recover. Was it, did you feel like you had to recover a lot or did you feel like that first, you know, your opening start when you, when you bailed actually gave you some good training? Yeah, I think, I think overall it got me good training. I probably had to recover for a day or two after the first one, but for, you know, that first attempt, I went three days and in those three days I covered like maybe 90 or 95 miles, which is, you know, 30, around 30 mile days is, is right in the, in the realm of what I'm comfortable hiking. So it was, it I think it was good training more than anything. And it really gave me a feel for the first hundred miles of the diartisma so that I wouldn't make the same mistakes again. Lead me through your rerun. So now you're in it, you know, what to expect those first few days, you know, the trail well, you got your nutrition and, and some of your gear dialed. What were you, um, and then did you mention it, your pack, like what you're carrying? I mean, we got a lot of gear nerds here, like to know what you yeah. had in your pack for like the, the specific models of like your quilt, your tent, I mean, your, yeah, sure. all that stuff. So my, my big pieces of gear were, um, I had a, a Gossamer gear, the one tent. Um, I carry a Hyperlite Mountain Gear uh, 3400, which is like a 55 liter pack. Um, I, I carry a, I use a down quilt from a company called Hammock Gear. Um, and then, and I, I carry a 20 degree quilt. I only have one, but um, 20 degrees seems to be a, a good temperature for me. Um, and then I was just, I usually use a, a blow up sleeping pad, but I was just using a, a you know, classic Thermarest foam pad that was cut in half to just shed some ounces. And, you know, outside of that, it was a pretty bare bones. Like, I mean, I had, you know, the black diamond trekking poles, stuff like that. Um, but it was pretty, pretty bare bones set up outside of those big items. I wear Ultra Olympus 3.5s, uh, anyone who cares about shoes. Um, but yeah, those are my big gear items. It's, it's, I, Really interesting to hear what people end up settling on. Was a lot of that sleeping stuff you used on the AT, and did you find that it was warm enough for getting through some of these nights? Yeah, so I used the same quilt for all my backpacking, and 20 Degrees has always been a good quilt for me. Um, Again, I I usually use a blow-up pad, um, but I just wanted to shed weight, so I used a foam pad for this one. the, the the tent's actually new. I used a I used a big Agnes Fly Creek on the AT, um, but I just want to after the AT I want to try a trekking pole tent. Want to get a little bit lighter, so I went I went and bought a Gossamer Gear tent. Uh, yeah, and the the Hyperlight Mountain Gear backpack also is one that I uh, is one that I that I used on the AT, and that that backpack is bulletproof. It's got three thousand miles on it now, and it's still 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 hanging in there (laughs) but yeah yeah i was just digging through my cabinet i'm looking for 
looking to do some fast packing and I'm like, do I invest in a lighter weight backpack or do you go with the nice comfort of the carry? Do you sacrifice some ounces? And it's always a tough, yeah. um, it's tough not to get caught up in, in being a weight weenie sometimes over comfort. Yeah. In my opinion, backpacks are like the last thing to get ultralight because like, unless you're, unless the rest of your setup is ultralight, then an ultralight backpack's not going to carry your stuff comfortably, you know? Right. Yeah. They're, they're only designed for so much. And you had a 50, like 50 liter ish hyperlight. So you can really carry a lot of stuff in that. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't, you know, I, I wasn't, um, I wasn't stuffing the pack full or anything like that. It was still like, even with six days of food, I was still pretty fine because I had cut the rest of my gear down pretty, uh, pretty lightweight. Yeah. All right. So run through, um, those first two days. Like I usually think the first two days are like the honeymoon. You got this honeymoon period where you're psyched, you're out there, things are clicking, you're trying to get into a rhythm. (laughs) And then eventually you can't hide from all the vertical and distance and the terrain and wet feet, whether it's from humidity, sweat, or just puddles and just being out there all day. Like what go through the waves of ups and downs for those first few days. Yeah, for sure. You're starting at Musalak and you're working your way all the way. I guess, you know, for you, your third day, you made it all the way to Sawyer River, mm-hmm. Sawyer Pond. Sawyer, Sawyer Pond. Yeah. Yeah. So the first, uh, you know, the first couple of days were all terrain that I had already hit because of the first attempt. So I, um, you know, it was just sort of a mindset of, of blasting through it as quickly as possible. And there's a, there's a lot of out and backs on the first couple of days. So it was, it was nice to be able to just, you know, switch up the, the running and the walking, um, you know, for, for the out and backs. Cause you've got your, your hydration pack for the out and backs. Um, I, um, you know, the first day went really smooth. The first and the second day were very dry, which was nice. My feet didn't really get all that wet. Um, the first couple days, um, what wait, what then, was your uh, foot maintenance strategy? Oh, so well, I wear I wear again Ultra Olympus three point fives. I wear uh, darn tough socks, and then I wear the Injinji like toe sock liners, which are so odd, but they they're they're odd feeling on your feet, but they they really cut down on the toe blisters for me. Um, so. Every every day I'd try to stop at least once and let my feet air out for probably 20 minutes, um, but that was pretty much it. And then there, I think there are two there are two fords on the Diarrhea that are pretty unavoidable when you go over you go over the Pemi River before the Hancocks, and you go over that river like right before the Sawyer Pond Trail. Um, so both of those times I took that opportunity to like take my shoes off and, um, clean my feet off in the river. Um, but other than that, it was, it was kind of just, you know, stuff my feet in my shoes and, and, and hike. Just go, just go for it. You know, it's unavoidable. They're going to get gnarly, but they can also be showstopper if they get to a certain point. Yeah, for sure. They can then yeah keep going um things are things are good things are good um day three 
the only mountains that I had hiked pre, uh, pre previously in the like southern New Hampshire sandwich area were Whiteface and Pass Conway, and I did those in the winter. Um, and so I sort of had this vision in my mind of the sandwich range as being like the easy mountains. I thought, you know, you just blow through the sandwich range cause they're, uh, they're Southern New Hampshire. They're not big mountains, but, uh, uh, they were actually pretty tough. Some of them were pretty tough. I thought the climb up the Osceola's was, was, uh, was pretty stout. And the, obviously the climb up the slide on South Tri pyramid is pretty brutal. Um, but yeah, I got again the the weather on day three was was pretty good, so I got through that and was able to get uh, all the way to Sawyer Pond. Um, but then, then day four, um, there was supposed to be some some thunderstorms rolling in in the morning, so I decided to to do some night hiking. So I I got into to camp at around eight thirty, slept until eleven, got back up and then kept on going. Um, Ended up finishing the 4,000, like my last 4,000 footer was Kerrigan, which I summited at, at 2.30 in the morning. And that was rather anticlimactic, but um, that I think that was sort of where it got mentally challenging for me because I, I don't like night hiking. And I feel like the, the stretch of trail between Kerrigan and Zealand, is, or Zealand Hut rather, is a pretty mentally challenging section of trail. It's very wet. Yeah, so that was tough, but but um, thankfully the thunderstorms never did. And uh, by the time I got to, I sort of considered the eastern whites like part of that range like my my So that sort of mental the highlands. I was like. I was pretty happy by the time I got to the Highlands and I was just ready to go. I can I can totally relate this some of the steep punchy climbs, Osceola, incredibly difficult, and South Twin. I mean sorry, South Tri Pyramid also incredibly steep. And depending on what time of day you're hitting it, if the sun's on your back, um, makes all the difference. Yeah, it's real. Uh, but it sounds like yeah, it sounds like you had a system down. You you had to put yourself in some pretty big sleep deprivation by only getting a couple hours of sleep going into your fourth day. And then you get up and you crash at you, you make it to mitts, and you just crash out. You said for eight hours. Yeah. Yeah. I got to mitzvah, um, hit Jackson. Like I, I set up my tent and then took a little run over to Jackson just to get that peak. Um, and then, yeah, I'd crashed at, I want to say I crashed somewhere around seven or seven thirty, and then slept all the way until almost four the next morning. And so, that, yeah, that was a that was a great stretch of sleep. And that did that give you a nice reset heading into um, the rest of the, the presidentials, and then um, obviously like the Wildcat Carter Mariah is a huge hit. I mean, that's like a just it's pretty relentless yeah. in there as well. Yeah, yeah, the the climb up Wildcat D is one of the most brutal climbs that that I think is on the whole thing. Um, but I think it did help me a lot. Like after, it was, it helped me a whole lot because after I got done the Wildcats and I was doing the road walk over to to the bottom of Madison, uh, you know, the day was ending on day five and I was like, I was sort of contemplating just keeping going, 
because I like I was just so I was so amped and so uh, like felt so good after those almost forty miles. But but I I still ended up sleeping at the bottom of Madison because I felt you know I I knew that I felt good now, but I wasn't gonna feel good if I tried to go eighty miles straight. That's just not something that that's a good idea to try to do. So yeah, you really consolidated all your sleep to the tent you didn't take any dirt naps or anything along the way? Yeah, no, never, never took any naps. Were you you close? Did you, did you have the desire to pull off a bunch? Yeah, I've, I've experienced this, this feeling before on like marathons and stuff where I just have, you know, that overwhelming urge to just lay down and sleep for a little bit. But no, I, I never actually had it on this, on this trip. Like, fortunately, it, it's, it never really hit me. That's incredible that like you could be that with it mentally for in in the heat well, I, too. It wasn't that it was really hot out when you were doing this last week. Yeah, I I also important to mention that the the nutrition powder that I had that I was drinking 3500 calories worth of every day, half of it had caffeine in it. So it was kind of it was kind of hyping me up a little bit. Are you normally like, a caffeine drinker? Not at all, which is it, so it probably hit me even harder. But um, I think it's the amount of – I was intaking about four cups of coffee worth of caffeine per day through that stuff. So it was like that was probably helping out quite a bit. So you had the slow drip going. That's, I'm, yeah. Were you just like – did you have moments where you just wanted real food? I mean that's insane to think that you were eating bars <laughs> and just powder, like powdered nutrition when um, you just – I I was, I had a thing of cabbage cheese and maple syrup and I Mm -hmm. like, I was, I wish I brought more potato chips and just more savory food, like not real food, but like not bars at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. Like I definitely, especially later on days, you know, days four, five and six really craved some just like McDonald's burgers or something, but but that was sort of that was also sort of like a driving factor because it was like the you know the quicker I get this done the quicker I can go to McDonald's and, and get a Big Mac or whatever. So did you? Have, <laughs> and then the other thing, the other question is like water filter. Were you? Did you care much about yeah. filtration? I I carried a Sawyer squeeze. I um I did take uh, water from the huts. Um, whenever I whenever I went to the huts, I took water. Um, but I also carried a Sawyer squeeze. Um, yeah and filtered water whenever I needed to. So all your water had to get filtered into another de- carrying device with the mix. Yeah, yeah, so I'd like the mix would go in like a the mix would go in a in a in my like my smart water bottles and then I'd just filter water into the smart water bottles. So that's a little bit time consuming, right? That's not super fast. It, Is it yeah, too fast? You, know, you can filter a liter of water with a Sawyer squeeze in like a couple minutes. I'm not sure that I don't I would say that I'm not sure it saves all that much time from like just eating a meal but you have to filter that water anyway you know because you have to drink water throughout the day so like I think it it probably washes out I yeah that whole trip there, there's only one spot where I was like thankful to have my uh, Sawyer I had the inline filter for my bladder mm-hmm. and it was uh, from Tri-Pyramids to Kate Sleeper or to, to Whiteface I needed I was desperate for water and there was a pretty murky pond with a little outflow and i got water there and that's that's the one place i was thankful otherwise i don't 
I know people get really wrapped up in the water sources, but in the whites, it's pretty clean. Yeah, honestly, honestly, I think if I did it again, I would not bring the water filter and just bring a little bit of bleach and just like put some drops of bleach in, wait like 20 minutes before I drink the water and just go, go with it that way. Um, talk about timeline. Um, you were like watching you move. You were, looked like ahead of schedule every day you built a little bit, but then you put on big time on your schedule when you obviously didn't sleep. Um, only slept a couple hours and that fourth day you ended up at mitzvah. And I guess from there, what was, what were your goals? Like when you got up for that, um, the next day timeline wise. Yeah. So, so the next day it was showing possible thunderstorms rolling into Washington, um, mid morning. So like first and foremost, I was just scared of, of getting caught at like, uh, at like the lakes hut and not being able to hit Washington. So um, I just focused that morning on on getting over the Southern Presidentials and then getting isolation. Um, but once I once I got done Washington and was headed over to isolation and then down to Route 16, I like the the weather sort of started to clear for the for what was looking like the rest of the trip. And that's when it started clicking of like, I think I'm gonna able to to do this in under six days so now it's a question of like how much under six days can i do it um and then you know at that point it was just at that point it was just a question of like how far can i get today and how early am i willing to get up tomorrow morning um it was actually a little bit disappointed i i meant to get up an hour earlier on on the last day but i just couldn't get myself up at like my, my body wouldn't get up until three. I tried to get up at two, but it just wasn't having it. Man, sleeping in. Um, yeah. <laughs> how was the body doing at that point in that last, like the last push, the last 24 hours? Yeah, it was like, it, it, it was a lot better than I thought it would be. But, you know, at that point, your, your feet do feel, your feet feel like water balloons and your legs are, your legs are stiff. Um, I started getting a little bit of that that bottom of the foot blister in the last probably 10 or 15 miles. Um, but other than that, like the body was doing pretty well. I also got like, I, I hear about this tunnel vision that, that ultra runners get a lot and I've never really had that, but I definitely started getting that in the, the latter half of the last day. Um, but I don't know. I didn't really like, I didn't feel like I wanted to die until after I was done and then like after I was done sat around for a little bit and then like tried to get up and walk that's that's when my body was like yeah you're done you're not doing anything for a bit so yeah the Kilkenny Ridge the Kilkenny Ridge is um notorious for not being able to see your feet blow down Mm -hmm. it's windy easy to lose the trail for a second you know you got to do it in the daylight which is definitely going to be in your benefit but um, run, did you run down? Like when you got to Cabot, did you, were you like running at that point just to get it done or are you still? still yeah. Hiking? So I, re- I ran out of water, um, about a mile before, like, you know, you come to that junction where you can like turn left to go up to the summit of Cabot or turn right to go down the, down towards the road. I, um, I ran out of water like a mile before that junction. So I like the last push up to cabin, I didn't have any water and then coming back down, I didn't. So I, I was pretty dehydrated and I 
and I I walked down the trail until I got to like the streams that are on the the Bunnell Notch Trail. Um, got some water, and then after I after I watered up, I I ran the rest of it. And then yeah, tell me about the ending of it. Well, so the ending of it, as I got like the original the original plan was to like maybe I can do it in five days, 18 hours. And then, you know, it got a little, got a little bit closer and I was like, all right, maybe I could do it in five days, 16 hours. And just like sort of kept getting like the end kept getting closer and closer faster than, than I thought it would. And so, um, uh, I ended up deciding that, well, I mean, I ended up just going as fast as I could, but, um, it it seemed as though it was going to be right around um, right around five days thirteen hours and that's what it was like five days thirteen hours five minutes and yeah that's what it ended up that's what it ended up coming out to and so who was there at the trailhead to meet you what did you eat after what did that like, <laughs> next what did that next half a day day look like oh yeah so we I I I told my parents that I was gonna be at the at the trailhead at six and i ended up actually getting to the trailhead at, at 5 30 so i there's no one there when i got there um so i sat around for a little bit until they got there and then uh they brought uh they brought whoopie pies and uh and craft beer which is which were the the two things that i i requested they bring so um chowed that and then uh immediately went to mcdonald's and got so much food um, went home, took a shower, and then went out to dinner again. Got <laughs> got mac and cheese. So I, I I had a great time that night with the food. But um, since then, it's been just it's been a lot of recovery. It's been you know putting together the trip report, gathering all like the the Strava files and the GPX files. I'm still still waiting on fastest known time to like actually verify it and put it on the website. But uh, but I mean, hopefully that should happen today. I think so. Fingers crossed. Very, very impressive. I that your body just wants to keep eating. You know, it's like I got another <laughs> forty mile day ahead of me. I got to eat. Yeah. Or or yeah, drink it doesn't some understand calories. that it's over. Um, well, this is our second time recording this. I'm gonna let let you go for sure. And I know this audio <laughs> is solid and not distorted, but um. I just want to say congrats. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for um, giving me your spot link because it, the you know the five five and a half days that you were doing this, it, I would just check in periodically, and I actually wanted to meet you on Route 16 when you crossed it, mm -hmm. but like you just kept going. I was like, oh maybe yeah. he'll just be there. Next thing you know, he's gone, and um, I was like, all right, well I'll connect with him at some point, and it, it you know these things are really fun to. Like from a spectator's point of view and they certainly get I mean all, all I want to do is go out and do something big now so I appreciate mm -hmm. it it's reciprocal I know you're saying like you were chasing some of my times which um, you you crushed and I'm looking forward to like the next person to step up and and have everything click and show yeah. what's possible for a route that's this demanding absolutely man thanks for having me on yeah, and let's check back in when uh, next summer we were we were talking before about potentially doing the hundred mile wilderness. You were going to go for a supported FKT, and um, yes, 
regardless if you get it or not or if you know but if you do do it like check back in for a trip report we, we love yeah. hearing this stuff so again thanks for sharing and uh enjoy your recovery absolutely man thanks for talking to me all right see ya see ya